We are the church this morning. We are the universal church, and we join together with other believers from every tribe and every nation, don't we? Large and small, and some meeting in houses to praise God and worship God, the God above all gods. Little known fact, did you know that even in ancient China, ancient China, they worshipped a singular monotheistic god? Did you guys know that? Any idea what they called worship this god? There's actually a temple. Gary, you might know? Shangdi? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's actually a temple in China. If you tour there, it's a god to the, not the unknown god like, like Paul went in, in Greece, but is to the god that's above all gods, Shangdi. There's no image of God there. And even today, there's uh, even possible evidence that ancient China had knowledge of the Genesis creation stories. That's fascinating, isn't it? You always think, you know, China had this long, long history, even dating back even before the, the Israelites. And somehow, we believe, it's theorized that at the Tower of Babel, when the nations were spread uh, and dispersed, some went to the east, and this was the beginning of the Chinese nations, or beginning of nations and ethnicities. So let's uh, have a quick uh, brief prayer as we uh, uh, begin our talk today. God, we uh, join with our brothers and sisters from indeed every tribe and every nation to declare that Jesus is Lord and is victorious. Jesus is risen is present amongst us today and in our hearts. So we just ask for your Holy Spirit. You might illuminate our minds, encourage our hearts, and inspire our spirits this morning. In your name, amen. All right. Well, it's uh, discouragingly said that people forget about 80% of what you say. <laughs> so all my labor, you're going to maybe retain maybe 20% of it. So last time I was here, what did we talk about? Does anybody remember? I'm going to test this 20%. We talked about an overview of the Gospels. Remember that? And uh, we discussed uh, the word euangelion, which literally might mean good message, a good message. We talked a little bit about Matthew, Mark, and today, we'll touch a little bit more upon the book of Luke, and then get a little more focused in Luke 9.23, and the secret, what's the title of today's message? The secret to the Christian life, the secret to a glorious life. So, that's, a little, that's what's called a little clickbait for you young kids, all right, when you're looking online. It's a title that hopefully will get you interested so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Hopefully we have your attention. If you want to pre-turn to Luke 1, 1, we'll be uh, uh, looking out of there and then focusing at the second half of the message, Luke 9, 23 and 24. So like I said, we discussed a little bit about uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, and we'll talk about Luke a little bit. So here's the Old Testament, right? And if you flip to the New Testament, what's the first book? Matthew. 
And literally, it's the, it's the one that's closest to what? The Old Testament. That's a very easy way of thinking about the theme of Matthew. It is closest to the New Testament, or Old Testament. And it kind of fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. Um, so it's kind of the most Jewish, most uh, closest to Judaism, not closest to Judaism, but it talks about fulfilling the prophecies of Judaism. Mark, if uh, Matthew is the most Jewish, the next one, Mark, is the most opposite, non-Jewish, maybe written to a Gentile population. Um, it is the shortest book of, of the uh, Gospels, or the Good News, and it emphasizes Jesus' authority, contains the most miracles, if you're thinking about studying of that, and at least half of it is dedicated to Christ's suffering and need to suffer. Now, even I have to admit, um, I've always had trouble with grasping and comprehending the sufferings of Christ and the cross. I, I don't know if you've felt the same way, um, but the book of Mark has helped me uh, uh, studying um, and thinking about these things to understand that the theme of Jesus' suffering and going to the cross is uh, Jesus is conquering and establishing the kingdom of God, not in a political way, but in not in a political state or by conquering the Romans, but by suffering and conquering sin and death and establishing the kingdom of God, where? In the individual, in our lives, not as everyone expected. So I, we touched upon that last week. And it's kind of an amazing theme that maybe we'll unpack and save for a theme for next week. I think I'm coming back next week, yes? All right. All right. I'm interested, I'm very interested in seeing what that speaker has to say next week. <laughs> so maybe we'll unpack that a little bit. So Luke, we'll take a little view from the treetops and then... Uh, second half of the message, go a little deeper into Luke 9, 23. The secrets to the glory of the Christian life. So let's turn to Luke 1, 1. We'll read a couple uh, verses there. Um, Luke 1. Many have undertaken to draw upon an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were possibly eyewitnesses to the, and servants of the word. With this in mind, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, and I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know with certainty the things that you have been taught. So it's interesting, as we study the Bible it's often uh, takes a lot of uh, Bible study tools and backgrounds to understand what is actually being said in the scriptures, right? Sometimes you just read it at face value, but often, well, it's maybe not face value, but we have to get deeper into the background, who authored it, their audience, and maybe if there's a parable, there's an analogy or allegory that the lesson is trying to come out. But in Luke, right there in the first four verses, he kind of tells you 
his agenda, what he's writing about, who he's writing it to, and what he's trying to accomplish. So let's take a quick look here. So what is he writing? He's writing a careful and accurate account. He is a historian of the things that have been going on. The eyewitness accounts of Jesus, uh, the miracles, his life, death, and resurrection. He is hearing these things and writing, considering everything, and writing it for you. Luke was said to be a doctor, a physician, and so he was a learned person. He was a learned man, so he was a credible, some cred to Luke's uh, writings. It is the longest of the Gospels. Mark is the shortest, and so it makes sense that uh, Dr. Luke is making an accurate and careful account of the Gospels, or the life of Jesus and the good news, right? So it is the longest. Why? What's the purpose of him doing this? Well, there's already a gospel out there. Uh, every, uh, uh, the eyewitness accounts, people think they have, uh, Dr. Luke actually used the manuscripts or writings or the oral histories of Mark's gospel. And the purpose, and he says, so that you may know the gospel with certainty. Right, to solidify, you know, is this these fantastic, fantastical stories going around of Jesus raising from the dead, uh, eyewitness accounts that he was actually risen? And so that is the uh, purpose of Luke's account. And interesting, who did he write it to? And a lot of people think he wrote it to a, this particular high official named Theophilus, um, but last time we did a little word etymology, correct, right? Remember what etymology means? Etymology? It's a study of words, word origins, not entomology, which is a study of bugs, okay, right? We talked about that last time. So let's do a little word etymology of the word Theophilus, okay? Theophilus, Theo, and Phyllis. The word phyllis, the brute word there is from phileo, phileo type of love or brotherly type of love, right? There's agape, there's eros, there's storge, there's phileo. Phileo is type, a type of brotherly love. Theophilus, so there's a, a word love there, and theophilus is the root word for God, theos. Theology, the study of God, theology. Theos. So this is written to a lover of God. So it could be not just a person, all right, one person, this book. Why would Luke write uh, 33 chapters, pages long, longer than any other uh, good news or gospel? Why would he write it just for some one official? But he wrote it carefully this account for really I think us he wrote it for us lovers of God friends of God seekers of the truth he wrote it toward these people in all of China so to speak right they worship this God above gods um, if you look on YouTube actually if you kind of look uh, uh, creation stories in ancient China something like that 
creation stories in ancient China. The actual characters, these guys, uh, uh, they, they take apart ancient Chinese script and it has word pictures of the creation stories. It's actually fascinating and amazing that uh, this book that Luke wrote is for really the whole world, any lovers, seekers of God. So this is who it's for. Luke presents, what does he present? He presents Jesus as the Messiah, the Lord whose life, death, and resurrection make salvation available to all people everywhere. It's good news to the people outside of just Jerusalem, Judea, but in fact the ends of the earth. And this happened where? At, after Jesus' resurrection at Pentecost, right? Where people were speaking in different tongues from different um, Gentile people, uh, Jews from other areas, they were speaking in different languages, not just Judaism, but the gospel, the Holy Spirit came on to Gentiles as well. They received the Holy Spirit. So Luke's good news is for any who are lost, it's the most inclusive of the gospels. Yes, it began in Israel, um, but talks about uh, the gospel for all peoples everywhere. Does anybody know uh, Luke's volume two installment in the Bible? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then the Apostle Paul's writings of his missionary journeys. Does anybody know the volume two of Luke? Luke is often called volume one, and the book of Acts is called volume two. If you look at the very beginning, of just like we did in uh, the beginning of Luke 1.1, 1, 1, it also says to most excellent, excellent Theophilus. So it all comes back again to uh, Luke was the author of that book. In the book of Luke are stories of the gospel, Jesus coming to sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, people down and out, Samaritans who were discriminated against, a lower class, the sick and the poor, and there's a reversal of the rich and powerful and the proud. In fact, it contains that uh, analogy of Jesus, right? It's even harder for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God than what? Than a camel going through the eye of a needle. It's faithful to the covenant of the people of Israel, but extends to people everywhere and especially the outsiders. It is, in fact, like the democratization of the gospel. It's not for one people, but it's for everyone. It contains, it uh, is a gospel, a good news, where a good Samaritan, a half-Jew, became the protagonist or hero of the parable. It's where a prodigal son can rack up a long list of lifestyle sins and find forgiveness and redemption. It's where a corrupt tax collector finds forgiveness and redemption versus the self-righteous prideful, powerful Pharisees. In Luke's good news, you will find that God loves the lost and opposes the proud. In fact, it contains some of my favorite parables, such as the Good Samaritan, 
in the trilogy of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost sons, right? The story of the prodigal son. Uh, often we focus on the prodigal, the prodigal son, but it's actually a trilogy of parables, and it's under a title of lost coin, lost sheep, and lost sons. So it's important to read those together to get a different aspect of what uh, the author is trying to say. So from this book, I was drawn to, uh, this is kind of the, the story of my uh, seminary career. You know, you intensely cover a topic in, in two weeks where you could only kind of skim the surface of a topic like, this class is on the prophets, and then in one month you read all the prophets, and then they talk about it. You could only kind of skim the top of it. So uh, I was drawn to Luke 9, chapter 23, 24, and 25. And go ahead and turn there, and let's read that together. And it's about how daily we need to take up our cross. You guys heard that before, right? In your Christian life, we must take up our cross. It teaches how us how to live. And thinking about that, I think it's finding this a secret to the glorified Christian life. Beware, however, be careful what we ask for. You know, who here doesn't want a glorified life, right? Right? Who doesn't want glory in our life, our legacy? Be careful what we ask for because the path to it is to also take up our cross. Let's read together. Um, Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will end up saving it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? This is not skimming the treetops here, is it? This is a very deep, deep passage. It talks about life, death, salvation, loss, glory, failure. It's one of the most greatest passages in Scripture, I believe. And it just smacked me in the face as I was kind of reading through the survey of the Gospels. It teaches us from the words of Jesus himself, first of all. You know, it's not someone else. It's not so-and-so heard this from so-and-so. These are actually the words of Jesus himself. It involves becoming a follower, becoming a Christian, all of us, most of us here, would consider ourselves Christians or followers of Jesus. So this applies to us. 
It speaks of being a disciple, this concept of being a disciple. Elsewhere in scripture, it talks about counting the cost. Consider the cost before you come follow me. Consider the cost to our lives. We might gain the whole world, yet forfeit our very self. It explains how to save our life by losing our life. Wow, this upside down uh, kingdom of God. Well, there's lots of commentaries on, on uh, this passage. Just the first reading of this passage, uh, many just uh, go to the obvious. Like, uh, you know, what does it mean? If you're going to become a disciple of, of Jesus, you've got to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do? He sacrificed himself. He suffered. He was persecuted. And he was put to a horrible death, Right? So many just simply look at this and say, if we want to be a disciple, we also need to suffer. It may include suffering. It may include taking up our cross. We may be persecuted. We even may be martyred is what a simple reading, a simple commentary on this passage is. But I think there's much, much more to this. Well, who's it written to? You know, some people say, well, it was just maybe uh, if you want to be my disciple, like the calling of the 12, if you want to be like my 12 disciples, you got to do this, all right? But actually, it's written to whoever wants to be my disciples. It's written to everyone, okay? So it applies to us to take up our cross and to deny ourselves. What does it mean when we, it's kind of weird, uh, Jesus wasn't crucified at this time yet, right? His disciples around, were around him, and he's teaching them, Who wants, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, let's take up their cross and follow me. His, Jesus wasn't crucified yet. But those that were under Roman rule would know very well what take up your cross meant. Okay? It was uh, a death sentence. Then he says daily. So um, daily take up your cross. That couldn't mean just if you follow me, you may be martyred. You, know, you only die one time, right? You only get crucified one time. Except Jesus, right? <laughs> he was risen from the dead. So what does it mean to take up your cross daily? So it's, just, it's an analogy, okay? Um, what are we denying? Daily, okay? Let's look down here. And if you want to write anything down, I believe it's the three R's. To repent, to repeat, and replace. Repent, repeat, and replace. What are we to take up our cross and deny daily? See, the issue, let's talk about repentance. The issue of repentance. It's different than just accepting Christ. We need to, what I believe if I were to define it, is to humble ourselves and repent from our sin nature and accept Christ to justify, to cleanse, to atone for ourselves what we could not justify, cleanse, and atone ourselves, right? That's the basis, basics of the gospel, the basics of what Jesus 
came to live and died as a substitution for our sins, right? That's what um, basically that means. Um, So what do we need to do? We encounter the love of God, God's holiness, and the holiness of God, we repent from our sins to follow God. So this is what it means to repent, to turn. Repent means to turn, to stop doing and do something else, to follow God versus what our, I believe, our selfish agenda, our selfish nature. So it's much different than just, oh, I accepted Christ, you know, way back in 1960-whatever. All right? I've done that. Um, It's done. It doesn't mean that... uh, if I say the, you know, the right words in the four spiritual laws that um, I have now become a disciple because I've done this, I've repeated this little prayer, the sinner's prayer. Um, in our modern idea, in our modern Christianity, this has permeated preaching today. That the free gift of salvation I believe, without repentance, is wrong. Something that has permeated modern Christianity, the idea of cheap grace, value-added grace, that the God-loves-me gospel. The Apostle Paul speaks of this uh, a little bit. Literally, he says, shall we continue in sin? He says, no. All right, that grace might abound, Christ says here, if you want to be my disciple, that I have atoned for your sins, then he says, daily take up your cross and deny yourself. What I believe that means is daily repent from our selfish nature. It is not a works theology, however. If you're a reformed theology, if you're a reformed church, um, your uh, 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 theology hairs on the back of your head might start standing up because it's, uh, they believe in Christ alone, the word alone, scripture alone, uh, grace alone, faith alone. All right? We don't need anything else, no works. And so there's this, there was the uh, uh, huge protest of Martin Luther that birthed the Protestants against the Roman Catholic Church, Right? So we are all Protestant churches, and we are, uh, tend to be kind of sensitive to works theology. But what does this mean, to daily die to ourselves, daily repent? Well, I thought I just had to repent once. No, according to this scripture, we need to take up our cross and daily follow Jesus. The gospel that Christ spoke about and God spoke about Becoming a disciple was quite radical. The repentance was radical. He talked about leaving and hating your family. It was like a 180-degree turn, a repentance away from our sin nature. Taking up your cross is talking about putting to death that nature and replacing it. Here's the third R, and replacing it with the fruit of God's spirit. 
This is what it means, I believe, to take up our cross and deny ourselves daily. Remember, uh, here's an il illustration. Remember the, uh, I think it was from, I forgot what Cecil B. DeMille's film it was. Maybe you could help me out. It was the, the scene of Sodom and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, remember? As they were fleeing, one of the guys, uh, I think it was Lot. Lot's family was fleeing, and Lot's wife did what? Turned back. Turned back. So we're talking about repenting, putting to death our selfish ways and turning and replacing it with God, daily taking up our cross. So you can't just, yeah, I want salvation. I want the benefits of God. But... I want to love God. I want God to love me. And you can't also love our sin, selfish nature. What happened to her? She turned into a pillar of salt, right? Very dramatic. What movie was that from? Was it called Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't know. It wasn't part of the Ten Commandments, was it? But I do know it was a Cecil B. DeMille's. It was, it was that era of, uh, of films. A good illustration that you cannot be a fowler of Christ and redeem, but still love the sin nature. Whoever wishes to be my disciple, it reads, is not an, being a disciple is not optional. We need to take up our cross and crucify selfish sin nature. So, uh, the image of the cross is death and destruction. So the three R's are we need to repent and allow God's salvation to do in us what we could not do ourselves. God justifies us. The theological word is justification. So when we die, hopefully, and go to heaven, God looks at us and sees us justified because God, Jesus' blood covered us and atoned our imperfections before a holy God, right? Okay? And to daily deny ourselves this sin nature is a process called sanctification. All right? This process, if God leaves us here on earth, as we grow in life, there's this process that we are justified. It doesn't happen in an instant. Unfortunately, though we would like it that way, that we would just be transfigured <laughs> right? When we come to the Lord. Um, I know I haven't. If anybody has here, uh, maybe you have, you know? When Jesus was transfigured, his hair turned white. I see a lot of white hair here. <laughs> maybe you are transfigured when you came to the Lord. Whoosh! Happened to Moses too, right? Transfigures, white hair. <laughs> but if we're not taken up to heaven right away, all right? If we're not like the thief on the cross that said, Lord, remember me, and Jesus said, tomorrow you will be with me in heaven, he went from justification to glory, right? In a matter of hours. But if we have life on earth, months, years, decades, this is how we live our Christian life. Daily, if you want to be the Lord's disciple, Jesus says, you need to take up your cross, the imagery of putting to death. Death of what? To deny yourself. Is it just self-denial? Or is it, it's re really, I think, that selfish nature in us. What's at stake here? 
Jesus says you might lose your whole life. If you, if you seek to hold on to that selfish nature, you might forfeit eternity, life, glory. But to gain that life, we need to put to death, put to death our selfish nature. So let's bring this home. Let's wrap this up. Daily, we need to, what does that mean? It means you need to repeat daily. We need to repent and then repeat. Every day we're on this earth, there's a struggle to repent from our selfish impulses and follow God's will instead of ours. This is how we can, quote, work out our salvation. Those are uh, terms of Paul, the apostle. Work out salvation. God justifies us, yes, like I said, if we died and went to heaven. But daily, we need to repent and allow God to sanctify, purify us as like gold. When God says, come follow me, we need to repent, daily repeat, and allow God to replace our old nature with a new nature. God uses many, many illustrations like uh, wineskins. Back then, they would, uh, you know, <laughs> this is uh, serendipitous. This is like a modern-day wineskin, okay? This is my tumbler, all right? What did they do back then? They didn't have plumbing like us. They drank water. What happens if you go camping and drink water? You can get dardia and sick, right? So they made wine out of it, and they purified it, and it was safe to drink. So they would travel with their bota bags, you know, their wineskins, you know? And what is this talking about? We need to, uh, uh, Jesus, I don't have the uh, uh, reference for you, but Jesus saying it, you can't put new wine into an old, cracked, hard wineskin. You can't fill it with something good and great if you have this old vessel, okay? If you put it in there, it's going to crack and leak and eventually burst, okay? So Jesus is saying we need to, uh, you can't put new wine into a new wineskin. We need to daily put to death, daily and repetitively and repeat, change our wineskin. That is our sin nature. So this means daily self-denial of what? Selfish ambition, my will over God's will. So where's the glory in all this? All right, the clickbait that I, that I hopefully drew you in at the beginning. What is the secret to a glorious life? This is the payoff from daily putting to death our self, selfish nature. That means, check this out, every day that we're a Christian, every day that we're a disciple, Every month, every year, every anniversary, we should be a better version of ourselves. Every year, we should have replaced our selfish nature into God's loving, gracious nature. That's what our trajectory should be. And that's an exciting journey, okay? It's not the journey of, well, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and, you know, you may have to suffer and die for the gospel. 
I don't think that's the complete story, okay? As we take up our cross daily and die to our selfish nature, God replaces that with his glory. And what is that glory? In the image of God's death, life, death, and resurrection, Jesus was resurrected to a new body. He could walk through walls, man, right? When he was resurrected, appearing before uh, his disciples, he was still the same. He had holes in his hands and his side. He was recognizable. So it doesn't mean you're going to lose yourself, okay? Like you have to lose all your personality, lose your who you are as a person, all your experiences. But Jesus was still recognizable. The Apostle Paul, if you look at his transformation, he kind of went through this as well, right? He was first, he was Saul. His real name was Saul. And it's interesting that he lived out the selfish power, uh, self-righteousness lifestyle of persecuting the church. But when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, the risen Lord, he became blinded, right? And then he repented. Now, when did he daily take up his cross repetitively and come to glory? Well, I was looking at this. Something like scales covered his eyes, and he was blinded for a period of time. And was it Ananias? It was somebody else that met him. I forgot the person that would restore his sight. And I forgot. I go, what was the time frame? And I was, as I was studying this this morning, it came to me that, you know what? I kind of have a feeling it was three days, kind of parallel with Jesus' life, death, crucifixion in three days. And sure enough, there it is. He was blinded for three days. And that's the analogy. That was, the, that was Saul's taking up his cross daily. That was his struggle. It was for a period of time. And what happened after that? Glory happened. He started preaching the gospel, a 180. He didn't lose himself. All his fire and fervency, his zealousness as a Pharisee of Pharisees, transferred into becoming the apostle, the missionary extraordinaire to the whole world, and then eventually to us. So much so that the Christians were watching him, seeing him preach, and they were going like, isn't that, isn't that Saul? <laughs> you know? Isn't that the guy that's putting us in jail? You know? And then Barnabas takes him to the apostles in Jerusalem, and the group is saying, uh, we're good. <laughs> we don't want you here, Paul, Saul, whatever you call yourself. We know what you've done. We know your history. And Barnabas takes him and says, no, you got to listen to him. He encountered Christ, and glory came to him. And that was his conversion story. He repented. He put to death his old ways, gosh, in an instant, in three days. And the power and boldness of Christ came to, to him. And he did more than anyone would, would ever expect. 
So even the Apostle Paul says it's a process. We are a work in process. Let's not just, as we close today's message, let's not just um, relax on our laurels. What are laurels anyway? <laughs> Help me out. Laurels. Feels like it's your rear end or something. Let's just not relax at the fact that we've been a Christian for so many years, right? But are we a disciple? Are we a follower of Christ? How do we, how do we share in Christ's crucifixion? How do we share in his resurrection? How do we share in God's glory? Jesus says it right here. We need to take up our cross, put to death. How often? Daily. Every day, every month, every year, any, every anniversary. Our hope of glory is to become more like Christ. Little Christians, Christians. More gracious. That is the secret to the glorified Christian life. I believe that I get out of this. I hope that encourages you today. That is to take up our cross daily and put to death our selfish nature and replace it with God's goodness and grace. And what does it look like? Well, what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Love. Unselfish love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. And self-control. That's glory. I hope you wish and desire and yearn for that with me today. And we, now we know how to do it. Let's pray. God, we just uh, thank you that we could come together and praise and worship that you are a risen and living God. You went to the cross, Lord, and you conquered the grave. And you are with us now, even though I had wished that I had lived in those times. God, you have come to us, our Emmanuel, God with us. You conquered the grave, and you've come to us in the form of the Holy Spirit, where two or more are gathered. You are here in our midst, and we praise you for that, God. Pray that you might encourage our soul, God. Encourage our adoption, our true identity as sons and daughters of you, God. Sons and daughters of you. God, thank you for cleansing us, atoning for us, doing the, justifying us, doing for ourselves what we could not do for ourselves, God. We thank you for that and we praise you. God, if we were to uh, leave this earth, <clears throat> we look forward to sharing in your resurrection as well, Lord, if it were to come tomorrow. But for those, your will, God, that you leave us on this earth to live and breathe and move and work and work for your kingdom, God. We pray that your Holy Spirit would prompt us, would guide us into daily putting to death, squashing, turning, repenting from our selfish nature, God, 
and replacing it with your nature, God. So may you daily, may we breathe in your Holy Spirit, the breath of life, to renew us, to redeem us, and yet glory, God, in your kingdom that you've established, Lord, not in the world that we look out at, but here in my heart, in our hearts, this day. Amen.